Hi, this is April Mazza. This is Christy Shoman Ferrer. And this podcast is overdue. Each episode, we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Good afternoon, April. Good afternoon, Christy. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. It's a little tiring to do this in the afternoon after other meetings, but that's okay. I really should have. <laughs> I have uh, some chocolate-covered espresso <gasps> beans. Oh, oh yeah, that's not fair. If you're, we're not in person together, well, I didn't. I didn't eat them, so I was just saying I should have. Oh, I thought so you were I could saying be my like normal right now. Monday, <laughs> or not Monday, my normal morning perkiness um, instead of my afternoon sluggishness. <laughs> No. At the key. Yes. Chocolate yes. covered espresso beans covered on Monday morning. <laughs> Is it Monday? I don't think it's no, Monday. Not today. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's yeah, afternoon hi. and we don't know what we're doing in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, so, do you want to share a book? Yes. You're... Yes, I do, actually. And this one uh, we talked about a little bit. I'm actually talking about it with everyone, which is sort of part of this story. I'm not quite finished. But it doesn't really matter because I already feel like this is like the best book that I've read or I've been reading all year. That's, that's called, high praise. It is for me. And it's May. <laughs> so like that's... I know there's a lot, a long way to go. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants by Robin Kimmerer. I'm listening to the audio and it's read by the author. She's a botanist and a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And this was suggested to me by my um, stepmom-in-law, who's also a former coworker. It's a little side story there. That's how I met my husband. Um, and But we love the same books. We're always talking about books and sharing book ideas. And I think it had been suggested to her, actually. It just kind of keeps coming up. I keep hearing about it. And I'm telling everyone about it. Again, even though I'm not finished, I just know it's it's amazing. And I just assumed, because it's sort of on everyone's um, mind, that it was a recently published book. But it actually came out in 2013. I, I, want, I wanted to buy a copy. I'm listening to a library audio of it, but I want to buy my own copy for a few reasons. One... I do like the idea of supporting a Native American author financially in this way and supporting their work, but also because I feel like it's going to be the kind of book I want to go back to, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and revisit different parts. It's, it's a collection of essays and there's just so many layers to it. So I went, I wanted to go order a copy and I saw it was published in 2013. I thought, oh, this is so interesting. Why is this book like making the rounds and coming up? And I just happened to I can't remember if I Googled it or if I went right to the New York Times, but there was a, an article that kind of, it's about, you know, books that appear on their bestselling list. And, you know, they talked about how with this book, it, it really is that like holy grail of publicity, which is word of mouth and why that it's appeared now on the bestseller list. And when I read this article, it was last fall. I, I mean, the articles from last fall, I just read it the other day. But the book was number nine on the bestsellers list. And right now it's number six uh, for nonfiction paperback. And it just, I thought that was really intriguing. So right now it's still no synopsis of the book, but I'm always interested in these kind of things. And Robin does say in this article that, you know, she has an idea of why people are interested in her book right now. And she says, when we're looking at things we cherish falling apart, when inequities and injustices are so apparent, 
People are looking for another way that we can be living. We need interdependence rather than independence. And indigenous knowledge has a message of valuing connection, especially to the humble. And that's one of the things I really like about the book is really a connection to the earth and to our environment through this lens of botany. You know, she is um, a scientist, she's a professor, and then it relates to the wisdom and the stories of Native Americans. So I have a notorious black thumb. (laughs) Um, But last year, like a lot of other people, I tried my hand at some gardening outside, you know, just trying to be outside more and, and just being home more. And I actually kept a few things alive. And I was really, really proud of myself. This does not make me a botanist (laughs) or a gardener, because I still had plenty of failures. So this is not quite why I wanted to read this book, but I I wanted to read it because I was really interested in reading more Native American authors and just the way it was described to me by Pam, my stepmom-in-law. It just sounded so intriguing. You know, it's really how the science and the, the historical wisdom fit together. And it's a total joy on audio. I love uh, listening to Robin, listening to her voice. It's absolutely beautiful writing and narration. I I rewind multiple times while listening just to hear it again. Like sometimes when I listen to an audio book, I rewind because I wasn't paying attention, but this is like rewinding because I just want to hear that passage again. I've listened to an entire chapter twice, and I'll talk more about that in a second. And all this is not to say it's not without heartache, because the author keeps it very real and honest uh, when it comes to the history and current treatment of Native Americans and Indigenous people. And I really valued that. You know, it makes me feel feelings (laughs) that are difficult, but it's so important, and it's all part part of this story. And it's also a memoir. Um, And I really love that about the book too. I I seriously hang on every word. She talks about her own motherhood, but again, how that relates to Indigenous stories. She talks about being a professor and like different parts of her classes and students in her classes, also herself as a student. And there's also this really lovely essay written by one of her daughters about this elderly neighbor. And it's still, again, it's always connected to science, earth, plants, animals. It's, it's really amazing. So my favorite chapter so far, the one I read twice is about the three sisters and the three sisters Ah, are, you do know the three sisters? I do, but I, yeah. Oh yeah. Corn, beans, and squash. And I never heard of this. I'm I'm telling you total black thumb, like (laughs) don't don't know much about plants. I also speak a little bit to where we each grew up. True. Although this is a New England-ish thing. And and what Robin talks about in the book is how these three plants, how they grow together and they have this symbiotic relationship, which makes them stronger and produce more together than they do separately. But when colonialists observed these gardens, three sisters gardens, they just saw chaos and thought, you know, the native people were inept like they don't know how to make a garden because they didn't do it in rows and so of course that's just like so infuriating to me but also very intriguing because I would love to grow a garden like that so that is going to be on my list of things to do someday it's probably not going to happen this summer but it's just to me was so fascinating and 
exciting and interesting and also just a little bit sad that our current way of farming is so removed from like actual science what works in some ways yeah too. yeah yeah and so like I said it's just an amazing book I'm just love love loving it I'm recommending it to everyone I really do think that it appeals on a ton of different levels so again you don't have to be you know, scientifically minded. You don't have to be already a plant expert or lover. If you're interested in the environment, it's super, super relatable to you. I mean, it it will, again, make you angry in some parts, the way we treat this earth and our land, and also, you know, the parts about the way we treat Native Americans, so the way we treat other people. But then there's just so many other really beautiful and interesting and things that I'm learning that I never really knew before or I forgot in terms of of science. So yeah, that's my pick. I'm super excited about it. You know this, um, or you might, I don't know if I actually told you out loud, but uh, I had gone to go check it out on audio after the first time we talked about it. And when I saw how long it was, I didn't check it out because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to finish it on audio. But I, I am uh, committed to reading it because it sounds amazing. And every time I oh. listen or read about plants, I'm always in awe of well, people this is who the learn thing. so much. I've been reading it forever on audio. Um, there's kind of a little secret to how I'm doing that. And it, I'll just say the one word, Sora. Um, oh. <laughs> no, nobody else is checking it out. So I keep checking I'm it out again. I'm going to do it. And then we all yeah. hold and you and can't return we'll it. In a battle. Um, <laughs> but I've kind of... And I don't want to, I'm using the word resigned, but it's not in a negative way, but I've kind of, you know, given myself up to and admitted to, I'm probably going to read this book forever. And I know that's really melodramatic, like, (laughs) but again, I think it just, it works on so many levels and Mm. there might be other times in my life where I want to revisit this book. And so a lot of times I do feel this pressure to keep reading, which is kind of related to what we're going to talk about later but it's not so much that I feel like I'm trying to relieve myself of that pressure it's not like you got to finish it check it off and accomplish it it's like enjoy it while it lasts it's it really is so lovely to listen to sometimes it's just 10 minutes in the car while I'm running an errand or you know maybe at home I'm cleaning up or something and I'm listening but yeah I think it'll just you know because I'm also, uh, yeah, I get stuck with long books too, where I kind of feel like, oh, I'm never going to finish this. And it feels yeah. overwhelming, but. Well, thank yeah. you. Thanks. How about you? So I'm on a totally different track today, at least for, as far as books are concerned. So I'm a, a huge fan of Maureen Johnson, the young adult author. Mm-hmm. I've read everything she's written. She has this amazing sense of humor. No matter what genre she writes, I the voice that she puts into the stories just resonates with me. I, I, I just adore her. I happened to be scrolling through some social media at one point and realized that she had a new book out. And so I requested it, didn't read anything about it, requested it. It's called Hello, Cruel Heart. And when I got it, I realized it was a Disney tie-in to the new Cruella de Vil oh, movies, which had I known that, I probably wouldn't have requested it. I, I mean, I know a lot of about Disney stuff. I've watched a ton of Disney movies, but I'm not what you would call like a huge Disney fan or Disney file. And I never read tie-in books. Like basically, I, I, I realized actually reading in, in selecting this title, reading it and enjoying it, that I have this bias 
that if it's a book that's tied to mm-hmm. some other media or some other intellectual property, I don't want to read it. And I'm probably should talk to my therapist about why that is. <laughs> but you know, I, I would never pick it up on my own, but I'm glad I didn't know. And because it's Maureen Johnson, I decided to give it a shot. Plus the cover is gorgeous. It's bright yellow. It's super cheery, perfect for the sunny days that we're having now. And um, I took it with me. I got to escape away from my family for two nights. I know. (laughs) I took it with me. I got to sit by a pool and read and it was fantabulous. I really, really enjoyed myself. So the premise is it is an origin story for Cruella de Vil, but it takes place entirely in the summer of 1967 in London, which was known as the swinging Mm -hmm. summer. You know, it was all about music and excitement and fashion and the main character is a 16-year-old named Estella, pre, pre-Cruella. And she is, I, I don't even know how to, they, they, they call her a thief, but she really is, she's a kid who lives on the streets, who the only way that she gets by is through pickpocketing and, and thievery, but really only just to live. And her, but her passion is in fashion and she is very good at what she does. And so she makes disguises in order to be a better thief. And of course she has, she lives with um, Jasper and Horace, who if you've seen any of the Disney movies or anything with Cruella, those are her henchmen. Mm -hmm. But in the story, they're just two other boys who took her in when she was first on the streets at age 12. The story just was super compelling to me. I think, you know, it's a character study of who this person is, where she came from. And I really liked her. And plus, again, Maureen Johnson's writing style is just wonderful. Mm -hmm. She knows her fashion. She knows the time period. All the details are perfect. There's a lot, there's a thread of music that goes through it, talking a lot about the, the music of the time because there's a band called the Electric Teapot that is, you know, up and coming band in the story. Um, what's really interesting is that from like a Disney perspective, the reading of the story felt a lot like Alice in Wonderland kind of okay, realm. Like in a trippy way? Or? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely in a trippy <laughs> way. Um, you know, there, but there's a, a cafe called the Caterpillar. Um, oh. the, the band is called the Electric Teapot. Yes. Um, there's fun. a lot of bright colors and, and it just felt more Alice, Alice in Wonderland-y Did you to say, me. Is it a picture book or a chapter? No, no, no. Oh, sorry. It's YA fiction. Okay. The main character 16. It's mm-hmm. novel. Sounded Very like quickly. it, but you mentioned pictures or colors. Colors. Yes. The cover, the cover. Oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bright, bright <laughs> yellow. So yeah, I, um, I really enjoyed it. And when, and when I finished when I realized, you know, I was thinking more about my bias about against tie-ins, I realized that I've also recently read another tie-in that I also enjoyed. And so I wanted to just give a quick shout out to oh. that too, so that it wasn't, I didn't sound like a complete um, snob, but um, <laughs> this one is written by Diana Peterfriend. She's written a whole series in, uh, that's a tie-in to Clue. And the first one oh, is In the Hall with a Knife. Fun. And it, yeah, the YA uh, mystery. And again, I picked it up because of the author. I adore her writing. I adore her. She's a fabulous human. And I wanted to read the book. And I had so much fun. There were lots of references to the 1980s movie. And being able to find them and seeing them just made me incredibly happy. <laughs> and, you know, in a time when I'm having a hard time reading sometimes and I, I you know I, I really have been focusing on trying to read 
stuff that does make me uncomfortable, that does push me to be a better human. And so occasionally I need brain candy. And I was so just going to say the word brain candy. <laughs> well that's how it feels it's like you know I'm I'm really doing a lot of spending a lot of my reading time reading stuff that I think is an important work and not that these aren't important work because brain candy is also very important Mm -hmm. but that I I think that they're good um ways to kind of give me a break and and reestablish um the fun of reading sometimes Mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely well if you were to describe the book to me without telling me about the Disney tie-in or the characters' names, I I would want to read it. I mean, I I do now. I'm gonna put it on my list. Yeah. But yeah, it just sounds and that's interesting and compelling. Yeah. I feel like yeah, Hello Cruel Heart definitely is one that you could read without knowing anything about the Disney worlds, like the Disney mm-hmm. universe. Right. And actually, I was reading some reviews of it, and people who are huge Disney fans were like, "But you didn't give me enough backstory, ah. <laughs> or like, how did she become this? It right. didn't tie into the movie enough." And I was like. That's actually why I loved it. Yeah. So, you know, it, take it at where you, right. you know, depending on where you are in the Disney world, Disney, I keep saying Disney world and it sounds like I'm talking about the park. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Disney realm? The Disney, Disney universe. universe. <laughs> the universe sounds too big. I don't want yeah. <laughs> Disneyverse. Disney planet. So moving on to our ask us anything segment i would like to know about how do you know when to abandon a book well i've gotten to the point where it's pretty easy for me (laughs) but when i thought about this question i i did remember that before i was a librarian i almost always read a book all the way through it's a little hard to remember that time though it was over 20 years ago (laughs) so i it's hard for me to even remember like what I was reading and how I even found those things and why I would keep going. But yeah, over the years, I think because of my job, there's a lot of responsibility of reading to help patrons. And there's not a lot of time to read all the things um, but don't, that do you are sit there. behind your, so. when you sit, worked at a public library, didn't you just sit and read? I know, really. We wish. <laughs> I would probably no. still, I would probably still work in a public library if all if all I had to do was read. But yes, no, that happened on home time. And that's the thing. It's like, how much time are you going to invest in something you're not enjoying? And I know some people have a rule, like they might say, I'm going to give it 50 pages, or I read at least a hundred pages. And then I decide, or, you know, it could be like a chapter or two. And for me, it's just, I don't necessarily always know right away, but when I know, I know, and I don't, bother pushing myself to be honest sounds kind of <laughs> harsh yeah no um, but that's good yeah. it's good and I, I also mean, have a thing where I if I let a book kind of just sit for a few days if I haven't picked it up in yeah like two or three days then I kind of know it's a goner so I'll just say ditto no, <laughs> no but the reason I the reason I asked this is actually not a, a question that came in through our channels but if you do want to send us a question you can uh, yes, you can please. send it to this pod is overdue at gmail.com. The reason I thought it would be a really good discussion is that I've been abandoning a lot of books mm. and some I got really far and then just kind of lost interest. So I was curious to try to see if there was a reason or a, an algorithm in my brain <laughs> that kept me, you know, from finishing. Cause usually I'm like, you know, if I can't get through the first 25 
40 pages mm. my age you know if I go to you know 42 and I can't finish <laughs> then because I always tell kids that they should read double their age to oh, get that's, yeah that's fair yeah you know it's so my 11 year old to read 22 pages you can do it I don't want to read double my age now <laughs> I think that's not fair no usually I know fairly quickly if a book is going to work for me but I actually was surprised with some recent ones and I'm not going to name the names, but if you email us and you're really interested, I'm could, I'd be happy to tell you. But one, I, I got like 250 pages into a 500 page book mm. and decided I just mm -hmm. was done. And another, I tried so, so hard because it came as a recommendation from a friend mm -hmm. and I just kept slogging through and I mm -hmm. couldn't do it. And I think I was probably about a hundred pages in, which is much longer than I normally do. But so I, you know, if I, feel like there's some sort of need to read it like if right. it was a you know I'm trying to to enjoy a book somebody else has recommended right I might read longer and of course this right. has none of you know like it doesn't apply at all to books when you're on award committee and you have right. to read it like that right you just have to read it <laughs> well I was I was thinking about that too and also when you review books you know it's it's like a job. I mean, reviewing yeah. and or the book Absolutely. award is it's it's a job. part of the job. So you have to finish. And there was a book, again, not naming names um, for committee I was on that, that was not necessarily a book I did not like, because I actually ended up really liking it. But it was a slow read for me. It wasn't the kind of book that I wanted to sit down and read for long periods of time, which is usually how I do like to read. So I basically just said, every day at lunch, you're going to read this book, you know, like at work lunch. So Monday through yeah. Friday. Yeah. And I got through it. And like I said, I really actually enjoyed it, but I needed to have a system yeah. to, to motivate me. Um, I was thinking when you said, you know, about abandoning books that actually brought up something else for me. So on my Goodreads page, I have a category for abandoned books. And when I first created that, my intention was like, sort of to keep track of, you know, mm. so I don't pick up a book I <laughs> um, wasn't that into, <laughs> but also some, you it's know, that I might want to revisit, but I ended up making another list. So I have an abandoned list and then I have a finish someday list. And for that, because I was revisiting that list just to sort of see like, why, why would I do that? And what, what would I go back to? Like one, for instance, was just a very difficult read emotionally. Mm, right. And I, and I yeah. remember right when I stopped reading it. And I, I think like, you know, I would like to finish reading that someday, but at the time it was, it was, it was just not a good time, but but then for the abandoned, it turns out that's actually my list. Like I really didn't like it. I'm not, some of them I even gave ratings to, um, and it just was not going to finish. And I don't want to, you know, call out any living authors, <laughs> but one example um, on there is Gone with the Wind. And I just, I mean, I don't even think I finished a page because it's just all like vernacular. It's, it's to just kill a, to kill them off. Yeah. <laughs> it just was like. And I had never, at the point I tried to read it, I had not also never seen the movie. So I was like, I should read the book first and then see the movie. And oh, I could April. not get through the book. <laughs> yeah, I could not get through the book. I did go see the movie. I really don't get it. I'm sorry for all the Gone with the Wind fans out there. I, you know, it's just like not, no good character. Like, like no, um, I mean, they're good characters. They're characters, but they're, nobody has any redeeming right. qualities. Not likable not likable yeah so anyway just not 
you know, like another one was the fourth in a series and I'm just generally not a series person. So I Mm -hmm. imagine I just was like, I'm done done. now. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I have an algorithm necessarily, but now I I want to think about that. But I did learn something about myself in the last couple of months thinking about this and, and, and abandoning a few books is that I can't do talking animal books. Mm. If they're from the first person, I think that I can do talking animal books if it's a third person perspective and I don't have to actually be inside the animal's head. So is it an anthropomorphic kind of thing or yes. just like I'm actually an animal not trying to be a person? Well, I don't know, honestly, kind of a, but it, I guess, like there's yeah, like I guess this like still... first person perspective from an animal's perspective thing that mm-hmm. I, you know, over the years I've tried really, really hard. Mm. And it's just not happening. So I, I'm giving myself more grace when it comes to putting down books, especially if they have animals in them. <laughs> so. I think that's quite all right. And actually, I think that's probably pretty common. I'd love to know what our listeners think. Yeah. So let us know. Email us. Hey, Christy, ready to talk about things we've been learning lately? Yes, absolutely. And I'm really excited because mine ties into your book. Oh, cool. So, so um, like you, I dabbled with container gardening, gardening a little bit, and I've done it a number of times over the years, but I'm not fabulous at it, um, but I still keep trying because I want to, I want to be better. And this year, a friend gave me a set of container garden seeds. So they're organic seeds that are perfect for container gardens. And so I started the seeds in the house um, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I didn't learn a ton about you know, sowing seeds, but what was really fabulous and the thing that actually did lead me to, to learn and actually spend way too much time online reading the other night was that and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it was a huge shock to me. It was some of the seeds when I opened them, I was like, oh yeah, this looks like the seeds inside the vegetables that I eat. <laughs> and I know that sounds like a no brainer, but, <laughs> but it's like, you know, so, so if you plant seeds for basil or, or parsley, mm-hmm. we don't see those seeds, right? right? Cause they're herbs and we, we grow the, the plant and we don't necessarily see the seeds, but um, I have uh, snap peas and red bell peppers as two of the the ones that I was planting and those were the two that I opened up the thing and was like oh these look exactly like the things that come out of the food that I eat when I get it from the grocery store and so the question that I you know is that I came to mind especially when I was talking with my kids and showing them the seeds was well can't we just plant the seeds that are in the vegetables that we get mm-hmm. from the grocery store and so that led me down this rabbit hole specifically about bell peppers Oh yeah. I'm curious. So, because we get, you know, if you're, if you're cutting up a bell pepper, there's like that big old thing in the middle with all the seeds. Can't we just use that and plant them? The answer is yes and no. So the first part is if it's a green bell pepper, you absolutely 100% cannot plant those seeds because a green bell pepper is not mature. You know, it's, it's not ripe. It is. We've somehow decided that we like eating unripe peppers (laughs) and Or some people, you know, if you're a fan of green peppers. (laughs) And so, but if it's yellow, red, or orange, those are mature peppers and those seeds might be plantable, but 
because of the way farming is in the United States and, and actually other countries too, um, with like the, the distance that food travels, uh, a lot of them are um, run through this process called irradiation, which mm. basically like they put radiation in the plant to kill off stuff. Well, that also kills the seeds. So you can't plant the seeds if that happens, but we don't always know that that happens before our food gets to us. And then also hybrids can't be planted or you can plant them, but you might not actually get Ah, what you think you're going to get because the seeds are not necessarily the same as the parent. So, but if you go to a farmer's market Mm -hmm. and you get a bell pepper that's organic and it's red and you decide you want to plant those seeds those could you possibly could grow that's very cool a pepper plant from that That yes actually makes me think of something I only just learned and I can't believe I never knew this some people have but well we'll see what other people (laughs) think but I learned that you can take the bulb of a scallion so you cut it about an inch and you can put it in like a little (sighs) cup or mason jar with about an inch or so of water and it will keep growing Yes. And you can cut it and keep eating it. It's amazing. Yes. I I did that. that. I did that recently. Um, I've been doing it since I found out. I mean, I still end up having to buy scallions. Yeah. Like I have a scallion farm. (laughs) But I just thought, how have I not known this? And why doesn't everybody do this? But also, yeah, the reminder, like your food. The food that comes (laughs) from the grocery store is real. It was grown somewhere. (laughs) And And those are roots at the end of the scallion, you know, like that's not, but I guess I just, you know, I would never have thought like, why could these just grow in water? Well, yeah, it's pretty wild. I was getting really excited listening to you talk about breeding sweet sweet grass, partly because of that, you know, we, we have lost our connection Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. A lot of us have lost our connection with the earth and the connection of like where our food really comes from and that whole process. And I think, you know, doing things like gardening and container gardening, which you can do. I don't li- I don't have a yard. I'm doing this all on the balcony in little containers and, you know, anybody can do it. And right. it, it really does help kind of reconnect you to that whole process. And I've really loved Absolutely. everything I've learned yeah. over the years, even though it's not always, you know, often it's I'm learning because I'm failing. But I, I've considered fun. it I consider entertainment money, right? And especially last year, like I'm not going to movies, I'm not going out to restaurants. So I spend some money on some dirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> some plants and some succeed and some and fail. It's education uh, too. Yeah. Although I, one thing I did learn, uh, and this also sounds like a no brainer, but you know, bean sprouts and other sprouts that like are really good on your salads, dogs also very much like to eat them. Oh. So when you're trying to grow broccoli and you get broccoli sprouts, they your taste exactly like them. broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> And your dog might eat them. So, you know, fair warning. If your Good dog likes know. broccoli, they'll all it'll also like broccoli sprouts. I have a feeling that's a personal story. You think? <laughs> <laughs> so what have you learned recently? Well, mine's a throwback to earlier this spring. We did a reimagining school readiness workshop through MLS. And before that, I joined Shelly Kazada at the MBLC and Lori Collins at Ipswich Library for a train the trainer training. 
which is really fun <laughs> to say, train the trainer training. And then we went on to do this training earlier in April, which is a great way to reinforce learning, by the way, is to teach other people. Reimagining School Readiness came from the Bay Area Discovery Museum out in California. It's, it's a collection of research and activities and resources, this, this really amazing toolkit that they've put together for libraries. And I'll put the link in the notes because it's free and available to everyone. And it's really about reconsidering what, what we think it means to be ready for school, in particular for children zero to eight, because again, we, we used to think it was like zero to five, but looking at this research, they've extended that. Also on the toolkit, there's recorded webinars and some printable stuff like um, bookmarks and posters you can use in your library. And it's really good for any library staff, this whole toolkit, um, anyone who works with kids. Also, if you have kids in your family, mm -hmm. um, I think it's so worth taking a look at this stuff. Even if they're a little bit older, it's really important to reinforce some of these ideas and, yeah, and I'll values, second that. really. Thank you. <laughs> um, any kind of educators too should take a look at this. If we have any academic librarians listening, I also recommend it, especially if you have like education programs. But the thing that I learned that kind of still stands out to me was one of the key findings of the research that early math skills predict long-term success in school, not just in math learning, but also in later reading proficiency, which was really, wow. really, yeah, cool to me. And also a little like, oh, you know, we just don't focus enough on math, mm -hmm. I think in general, um, but especially in libraries. And when I was in a public library several many years ago, there just started to be some math initiatives in the mm -hmm. state. Like I remember bedtime math. Yeah, and, I was just going to say that. Yeah. And there was like some other programs, you know, trying to get libraries to do some math programming. And I was really resistant you know, I think I even remember saying out loud on more than one occasion, like I became a librarian because I want to get away from math. <laughs> um, but it was really my own self-doubt around math and, you know, just thinking like my focus should be on reading and, and literacy, you know, but now, you know, all this time later, I really see how valuable introducing those skills are. And then if we provide those opportunities in our libraries, we might not end up with kids like me who grow up as these math insecure adults, especially mm -hmm. women. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel sometimes I feel a little cheated <laughs> out of, yeah. you know, a science and math education and opportunity that I might've had if I grew up in a different time, which makes it sound like I'm ancient and I'm not, <laughs> but I, in the eighties, you know, was not I don't think a very, no. yeah, it wasn't very encouraged. Yeah, well, there just I, wasn't a lot out there for especially girls. I, I, I'm a huge math nerd and I love math. But even with that said, I was discouraged from working, you know, continuing in math until after I'd graduated from high school and a math teacher said, oh, well, I thought you should have majored in math. But nobody ever told me that. Mm -hmm. I think I've done a lot of reading about you know, math and women um, and, and, our, and how we identify and how, how our early education experiences really kind of formulate mm -hmm. that. But kind of going back to what you were saying about the connection between math and reading and math and success everywhere else, it's not just about computation. And actually that kind of ties into, you know, work that I've been doing with the transforming teen services and computational thinking that that thinking 
that comes to math is part of math is logical reasoning. It is problem solving. And it's all stuff that's really important in everything that we do in life. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like we have whole generations of women and kids, um, not just women, but you know, primarily women and non-binary individuals who were not encouraged to put time and energy into it, right? which is so sad because it's math is such a big part of everything in the world. Right. I mean, even well, if you think about like nature, like every day. Right. And, yeah. and that's the thing too, in the, in the toolkit, they have these, this great resource that's math activity cards called time to try. And they just have tips by age groups of babies, toddlers, preschoolers that are ways to introduce math to everyday life. And a lot of them are just suggestions of language to use. So, mm-hmm. you know, saying more and less or over and under. So the spatial thinking, which we take for granted, that's math or having children stack things in size order. And all a lot of the activities are related to like being done in the library or around the use of books. So like that example was um, having kids stack books picture books in size order from smallest to largest. You know, I really appreciate the tie to literacy. So basically you can have the kids help you clean up. Yes. And they're building their math skills. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I should write a parenting book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also just want to do a little plug too that we're hosting another one of these trainings in July. So we'll, we'll make sure we put the calendar in our notes. It is right now only available for Massachusetts public librarians um, and it will be virtual. And I think there are just a few spots left, you know, we'd love to fill up the whole class. And we really do hope to offer it again, you know, possibly in person uh, in in maybe 2022. Yeah, because this was part of an IMLS grant that the MBLC got, which is the Mass Board of Library Commissioners. Part of the grant funding is to, you know, kind of keep the momentum going and keep sharing this information as widely as possible. So I hope that it's interesting to a few people out there. I think that's great. I love it. I love it too. And speaking of loving things, do you have yeah. anything that you've loved recently? I do. I It was my birthday not that long ago. And my brother and sister-in-law and niece that live nearby gave me this very adorable, very small little book club kit in a box oh my goodness it's about I don't know what do you think three by two inches like a three by five card Um, a little tin little tin um container I have to admit I'm not a great book club person because I've often don't read the books I'm just terrible like I don't read the books I I go for I don't (laughs) I go for the the gossip and the wine so Uh, I have to admit I (laughs) so I was in a book club and we're now a food club with a book focus. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That club, that club I could join, but this is adorable. And I actually like um, certain parts of it very much. So it's got these cute little, they look like book. uh, Oh, due date cards. Yes. Thank you. Due date cards. It's been so long. (laughs) They're little due date cards, but it's for you to take, you know, your notes on. It comes with some questions, which I actually think are pretty good if you are interested in like you know, really delving deep into books and not just blathering on about them like we do on this show. (laughs) But if you wanted to have some specific guidelines, like, you know, let's see, was there a moral? What are some of the themes, 
you noticed? Um, how believable did you find the narrator to be? If it's a fox, uh, not yeah. believable at all. <laughs> Would you recommend this book? Anything left unresolved or ambiguous? So some great, great some question questions. ideas. But then, of course, my favorite part is this tiny little book <laughs> of literary cocktail recipes. Oh my gosh, that reminds oh. me of, um, do you have that book, yes, Tequila Mockingbird? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have Tequila Mockingbird and I have, I think the other one, the, the sequel. Yeah. So those are literary inspired cocktails. You're also writes um, yes. children's books. That's right. Those ones are a little more creative. These are actually like kind of standard cocktails that are in books. Oh, cool. Um, so side sad note, and if you haven't noticed lately, Christy and I are self-admitted proud social justice warriors. I was a little bit like, oh, these are all dead old white men authors. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's nice, but you know, it's cute. It's a cute idea. And maybe, you know, maybe I'll make up my own using some contemporary books by um, we have a, a wider audience. <gasps> yes. Or we could do a contest with our listeners. Ooh, Here we yes. go. Send us your favorite book cocktails. Yes. What's That'd our email again? This pod is overdue at gmail.com. We really want to hear from you. You can also message us on Instagram, which we're at this pod. Is That's right. <laughs> I have to admit, I haven't read most of the books in this little um, pamphlet because I guess dead old white men books. I don't know. I read a couple. One of them was, um, so I'll give an example from that one, which is Breakfast at Tiffany's by Truman Capote. And the quote is, let me build you a drink, something new. They call it a white angel, he said, mixing one half vodka and one half gin, no vermouth. I really have to say, I don't think I could drink that. Like That's not <laughs> martinis very creative. Are, yeah, martini, no, none of the drinks are very creative. <laughs> They're all like actual drinks. So that's why like the tequila mockingbird's a little more fun, but yeah. I like the idea of this. And that they are all from, like they're all quotes in books. So that could be interesting too, like finding something a little mm -hmm. maybe newer, a little more, you know, fashionable yeah. or something. But yeah, I think the weirdest sounding one was a beer milkshake. No. And it's milk Although and beer. <laughs> and you and, shake it up. Yeah. And that's from um, John Steinbeck's uh, Cannery Row. So again, I've never read that. I've um, been to Cannery Row. Where is it? It is in Monterey, California. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Cool. So tell me about what you're loving lately. So I love pencils. I love pencils so much. Um, <laughs> but I specifically, love <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I, I there's so many things about that. The smell. I love writing in pencil. I love that they're erasable. But specifically right now, I am loving my Calliope Papery Pencil Factory pencils. Oh, and April, yes, Calliope, which is a um, stationery store in Natick, Massachusetts. And mm -hmm. April introduced me to the store. And she originally gave me a set of pencils that were from um, the podcast, My Favorite Murder. So they had quotes from the podcast. And there's one that just kept popping up this last year. Anytime I needed a reminder that just said, don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> but I, mid pandemic, I had a midnight shopping spree where I bought lots and lots of pencils, um, many of which I can't 
say out loud on a, this podcast because we're family friendly. So I do en- encourage people to go look because there are some really hysterical ones. I, you know, I got some that, that my kids have. Uh, my daughter has a few that says this pencil is a port key. Um, I have um, one that says, especially heinous. And um, then there are some others that are not, not family friendly, but they just make me smile all the time. I like giggle when I find one or like we, um, we were gathering pencils for a game night, family game night, just us. And the pencils that were grabbed were really not child friendly, but it still was very, very funny. And I, I love that there are these pencils there. And I actually just the other night bought more. So I don't need any more pencils, but I love them. And I actually have an electric pencil sharpener now too. You know, what's so funny when I first started working at MLS, I could not find a pencil and I was shocked. So I went around asking like, where are the pencils? Plenty of pens, lots of Sharpies, definitely Mm -hmm. a favorite of mine, but no pencils. And I, I was kind of mocked for it. Like (laughs) you still use a pencil. I love pencils. I think I mean, I don't want to like turn this into the pencil podcast, but um, there, are lots of, <laughs> there are lots of reasons to like pencils and I still use them despite um, being made fun of. Yeah, I was using one the other day and I don't remember where it came from, why I have it, how it ended up here. It's a really great pencil and it says, bleep, yeah, Somerville, which is where I used to live. <laughs> and it just, oh, it like it made yeah. me, it made yeah. me smile because I don't know. I think bleeps are funny. Um, And especially on a pencil, it's a little unexpected surprise for those of us that like uh, adult humor. Yes. Yeah. So yay, pencils. Yay, pencils. What a wonderful note to end on. Thank you all for listening. I have to say we've had some really great responses to our podcast. So if you are loving it, please could review us and rate us and tell your friends. And subscribe subscribe and follow us on Instagram. And in fact, we're having a giveaway right now on Instagram. So if you follow us and then tag a friend who might like the podcast, you could win my copy of Fatima's Great Outdoors, which is the book um, I talked about on our previous episode. Christy, will you remind our listeners about our Instagram. Yes, our Instagram is this pod is overdue and you should be able to find us. It is our logo, the yellow with our bitmojis saying this podcast is overdue and we would love to have you follow us. We post pictures of what we're reading. We post lots of other random pictures, sometimes shelfies from our own bookshelf. We would love to connect with you there. Yes, and find the giveaway post on there. Uh, after you hear this episode and we'll pick a lucky winner soon thank you for listening thanks for listening bye bye thanks for listening to this podcast is overdue with christy and april bye everyone happy reading our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and alidu the podcast maker Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. You're just trying to be difficult. Menopause. <laughs> it's going to happen it, to you too. Right there. <laughs>
stop recording. I am so hot.